Go ahead and be seated now. Um, been asked through a text that we uh, pray for Brother Steve Elkins, one of our elders. He's in critical condition in ICU at Southwest Medical Center. Um, he was supposed to have open heart surgery last week, but he had some problems before that date, and they took him to the ER, and he was running a fairly high temperature and having some pain, and they found out that he had a twisted intestine, and they removed about eight feet of dead um, intestine, and then they left it all unattached and everything to watch his numbers and that type of thing. They did surgery yesterday to reattach it, but all this time he's been kept sedated, and uh, there's infection in his blood and in his vital organs, and uh, it's very, very, very serious. And Nancy is with him uh, this morning, as she should be, and uh, I assured her that we would spend some time in prayer. Uh, not to discount anything else or anyone else. It's, we got people going through chemotherapy, and Brother Bob's getting ready to go through radiation, and uh, Danny Hudler. Um, is having uh, some mouth sores and that kind of thing from his radiation treatment for that oral cancer. And um, COVID is all around us. First Baptist Newcastle is not even meeting this morning because they have something around 100 cases in their church. Eagle Heights has a lot of them. Uh, a lot of stuff that's going on like that that we uh, certainly hear about. But at the same time, we remember this. The physical things that we go through in this life are not the worst things that people go through in life. There's a lot of storms and a lot of sickness out there that are in hearts, that are in homes. There's a lot of corruption that's going on all around us. In fact, sometimes it makes it even difficult to know what to believe that people say or that you see on the internet or the news or anything like that and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of rebellion and there's a lot of sin going on against our God and we are so thankful that Jesus Christ has already come and paid for our sin and given us eternal life so that we have his life living in and through us so that all of these Paul called them momentary light afflictions. And when I read about his life, I'm thinking, how could he say anything like that and mean it? It's because he had an eternal perspective, didn't he? And it was the power of God working through him. Try to handle it in the flesh, you, you just can't. You'll crumble. The arm of flesh will fail you, the old hymn says. But when the Lord is working through you and you are dependent upon his mighty power... <clears throat> he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's the Holy Spirit. That's his power. So that Christ is glorified in the church. And then he goes on to say that's not a one-time only thing. It's an intergenerational thing, world without end. In other words, it just goes on and on and on. So I want to ask you, as you think about your problem, do more than just pray, oh God, get me out of this. 
Think about this. How can God be most glorified in your trial right now? How can God be most glorified in your trial? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, we don't ever want to discount praying for those who are sick. We know that while you ministered here on earth, Lord Jesus, healing sick people was very significant. And if you are the one that truly is the unchanging one, I thank you that it's significant now. And we want to thank you that you've made our bodies to heal and to recover from all kinds of things, disease and surgeries and those kind of things. So we praise you for that. And we praise you for physicians, medical science and all of that. Even people who don't know you are amazed by the design of the human body and by the consistency that you have placed in science so that they can figure things out and what works on person A is most likely going to work on person B and so forth and so on. Thank you for that. <coughs> Heal our sick folks. See them through their treatments and bring them out on the other side. And we want to pray for our elder Steve Elkins. And we want to pray that even now while he's sedated, may you give him peace. You said in your word that your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. I pray he's feeling that right now, feeling safe, feeling secure. And pray that you're bringing healing to his body and that you are getting rid of infection and you are causing organs to start working properly again, please. And bless Nancy as she waits for him. It's got to be an agonizing thing. Help her. But Lord, as we think about these light and momentary afflictions that we go through, it reminds us our life only gets better from here. As we go to heaven and we're going to be with the Lord and all of these things will be gone and we look forward to that. But in the meantime, you bring us through these things so that you might glorify your name in them and through them. And so we ask in our trials, in our weakness, in our frailty, in our questioning, in all of these things that we do, how can you be most glorified in us? Now, if that's a supernatural healing, then so be it. Or if it's endurance, or if it's being around people who are going through the same things so that we can share the testimony of Christ, we'll leave that up to you. Father, bless our church and bless these other churches that they, as they are suffering and heal their people and strengthen their walk with you. And we pray all of this that you might speak to us and open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law, as the psalmist said. So when we look in Exodus 27, speak, Holy Spirit, to your people today. And we pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 27. And we are looking as we move on down through here at uh, things that so many people and so many times when I look through uh, different um, commentaries and uh, sermon 
selections and all of that, they skip all of this. Well, I didn't feel like we needed to because all of this is the Word of God. And I want to talk today about the presence of God. Do you want to experience the presence of God? And this is something where we say, Oh, come Holy Spirit. You know, I've heard people pray that. Well, He's already here. He lives in you. I've heard as uh, we go through a trial or we go out to witness to somebody, Oh, Lord, be with us. Well, He's already with you, and He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. So we pray some things that we ought to think about a little bit more before we pray them. But at the same time, have you ever felt like God was distant? Have you ever felt distant from the Lord? The Bible says in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I want you to think about times in your Christian life when that verse you could have written it. It just seemed like the joy and uh, the blessing of God was just so real and so powerful. And we say at times like that, boy, God was with me. Okay, well, then what does that say about other verses where Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always? What does that say about verses that tell us, be content with such things as you have? And why? Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's not that God leaves. It's just sometimes we're more aware and in tune with his presence than we are at other times. <clears throat> when I think about an omnipresent God, and God is always with me and everywhere I go. I mean, ask Jonah, how do you run from an omnipresent God? You can't. And I think about how so many times... We go, oh, God was with me, and it makes us feel good. But then I think about the times when we're walking into sin, disobeying God, and we forget that he's with us. We think we're alone, and yet he's still with us. And that ought to be terrifying. Because the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. The Bible says that for his children... If he loves you, that he disciplines you, and he's never caught off guard. He's never misinformed. There's never a time when he doesn't know what he is doing, and he doesn't know what you are doing. So there's this part that the presence of God makes me feel good. There's a part of the presence of God where uh, not so much. And then I was thinking, too, if we are going to look at the passage this morning and we're going back and it's kind of a, an amplification of what we looked at earlier, that great big menorah that was inside of the tabernacle that would light the table of the showbread and uh, that area in there. And it was supposed to be, we're going to find out, burning continuously and Ligon Duncan, as I was reading some things he wrote on this, said that it's a symbol of God's presence. Well, that got me to thinking, a symbol. It doesn't mean that only when the flames were burning that God was present. Of course not. 
It meant simply that that was a reminder and something that would make them aware of the presence of God. I need that sometimes. I need to be reminded that I'm living and moving in the presence of God. Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. And you and I ought to know by now that when we got saved, we were placed in Christ. And Christ is in us as the hope of glory. And that's how we function, in him, in him. And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I live life as though he's not with me or as though he doesn't really exist. And that's far below what God has planned. So those reminders for the people of Israel back in this day and the reminders that God puts in our life today, after all, the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me. Why do we need to remember? Because we forget. And uh, it leaves our consciousness sometimes. But then I thought even further, why would I talk about the presence of God if we're always in the presence of God? If God is everywhere, that means lost people and saved people are in the presence of God, whether they realize it or not. Then I ran across another part of uh, where the psalmist says, hide not your face from me in Psalm 27, 9. Well, what's going on here? To hide not your face from me is essentially saying, God, don't turn your back. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? When you're talking to somebody and they don't look at you. You ever had that happen? When you're talking to somebody and you're telling them something, maybe even answering their question, and they're looking over your shoulder at someone else they'd rather be talking to, or they turn around and they're no longer facing you. It's a pretty uncomfortable thing. I've seen times when, for example, uh, a police force is unhappy with what their mayor has said or done, and when the mayor shows up at something, an event where the police are, they all turn their backs. It's a sign of disrespect, isn't it? And when the psalmist says, hide not your face from me, what he's really saying is, Lord, it seems like and feels like you've turned your back on me. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let your face be upon me. And when you think about that famous Old Testament blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, right? And give you peace. We think about all of those different references. And we think about how many times we say something like when there's a revival or when there's a lot of response from the people, boy, God showed up today. Well, he's always been here, always been here. But there are times when we're more aware of his presence than we are at other times. And so when we look at this passage today in Exodus 27, I think this falls more in line with what the Puritans used to call <coughs> the manifested presence of God. 
manifested. It's when he shows his presence. It's when we can see and sense and understand and be reminded of the presence of God. And the light of this particular lampstand, the menorah, and by the way, if you'll remember, it is the, uh, the candle, the lamps, lampstand is better, that was beaten out of one talent of gold. That's about 99 point something pounds of gold. Do a quick calculation. What's the price of gold right now? $1,300 an ounce. Last time I looked, it may be lower than that now. This is an expensive thing. And no wonder when people would invade Israel and um, they wanted to plunder Israel, one of the things they got is the menorah. Did you know in Rome today there is an archway from the general Titus from way, 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 way back after he plundered Jerusalem of them carrying this lampstand? And did you further know that on the flag of Israel today, or the seal of Israel, I mean, modern-day Israel, they have a, a menorah, and it is patterned after the lampstand that is on the Ark of Titus in Rome. It's interesting. And we think about this, and think about this magnificent, magnificent piece of equipment, and we think about it, and uh, the symbolism was, in essence, every time they went into the tabernacle, into the place where God dwelt, the light reminded them of the presence of God, the manifested presence of God. Exodus 27, 20 and 21. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives. John MacArthur writes on that, that would be the kind of oil that would be virtually smoke-free. That would be important in a tent like the tabernacle. Pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle, the meeting outside of the veil, which is before the testimony, that's the ark and the holy of holies, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. Before the Lord. And it shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So as I thought about that and I thought about this lamp, thought about the, uh, some of you old timers remember, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, right? We used to make up other verses for it. Give me gas for my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord, stuff like that, silly stuff. But that first reference, give me oil in my lamp, is making a reference not to a kerosene lamp or something like that, but to the lampstand here. And we think about the light of God burning, and we think about it burning because when we looked at this a few weeks ago, that beaten gold is a picture of Christ, his suffering as well as his deity. And then we uh, looked at the oil that was in each one of those, the olive oil. And oil is in the Old Testament a representative of the Holy Spirit. He is the fuel. He is the power of our life. And then we said that that wick that floats in that oil, that's us. We're on fire for the Lord. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. And as I thought about 
all of those things that we've looked at before and the things that I've just read and the manifested presence of God, I began to look at these verses again, share with you what I noticed. Number one, God's presence is manifested in obedience. You'll notice that when you read down in verse 20, you shall command. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. Well, the fact that the lamp is going to be burning continually means there's got to be a lot of oil. Don't be chintzy. Don't be cheap. Don't try to scrimp on God. This is going to be a sizable offering. <clears throat> when I look at this and I notice that they were commanded to do this, that it's not an optional thing. They've got to take God seriously by taking the word of his servant seriously, just like we take God seriously by the words of his servants, prophets, and apostles taking the word of God seriously. It's not optional. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just something to think about. It is something that we are commanded to do. And so they brought this oil, and the oil was to be there, and I'm sure they would have some way of storing it or stockpiling it so that it could burn continuously. And so it dawned on me that the presence of God, you want to see the presence of God in your life? Start obeying him. Start doing what he tells you to do. God never called you to look at his command and say, I'll think about it. Can you give me overnight to think about it? You're not buying a used car. This is your king. This is your God. This is the sovereign of the universe who knows all things. This is the God who has chosen you and brought you out of darkness into light. This is the God who has filled you with his life and his spirit. And you would dare look at him and read something in his word and go, uh, let somebody else do it. I'll do that later at a better stage in life. I'll do that when it's more convenient. I'll do that at another time. Or worse, let me, let me think about it and I'll consider whether I'm going to obey you or not. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just say to you, if you say to the Lord, I'm considering what you told me to do, you have already sinned and you've already disobeyed. We are the people that when the cry of God comes out, we are to say without hesitation like Isaiah did, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. And I think sometimes we don't experience the manifested presence of God because why should he? We are living in disobedience. Now I noticed in Acts chapter 18 verse 9 and 10, Paul is in Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Well, why should I do that? The Jews are after me here, and the pagans are after me. Why should I speak up? Why should I do that? And you notice here that the Lord gave him a reason for his obedience. For I am with you. The manifested presence of God. That's just one example. So what is it that you know you should do that you're not doing? You cannot walk in the manifested presence of God and look at porn. 
You cannot walk in the manifested presence of God and be drunk with wine. You cannot live in the manifested presence of God and be a gossip about everything that you hear. Can't wait to spread it around to somebody. You can't be living and walking in the manifested presence of God and do anything that He has forbidden in His Word. In fact, I promise you, you'll get to the point to where you'll start, you'll start thinking, where is God anyway? I don't see any evidence of his presence and instead of propelling you to run and to seek the Lord some of you are sadly going to go he hadn't done anything till now I'm not even sure he's around and you'll go further and deeper into your sin and I want to tell you something if you do that you're crazy I say that one of the things you need to do when you find yourself in a hole is stop digging and I just want to say to some of you, you need to stop digging and turn to the Lord. And the reason you don't sense his presence is because you're living in sin and he refuses to bless what he has cursed. Can I get an amen on that? He refuses to bless what he has cursed. Secondly, then, well, let me also back up. <coughs> Did God's manifested presence depend on the obedience of the people? Well, I'm going to say no, because God can do anything he wants to do. And if the people didn't bring the oil, and if the priests didn't tend to that lamp, that would not diminish the glory of God one iota. That would not affect God at all. That would not stop God. That would not do anything like that. But it would hinder the people and their knowledge and understanding that God was with them. The God who had promised Abraham was still with them as well. So when we look at this and we think that maybe somehow we can hold God hostage or we can force him into a deal he doesn't want to make, get rid of that. Because our disobedience does not diminish him in one iota, but it does diminish us and it does separate us from the blessings of God. Number two, God's presence is manifested in ministry. Or we could say service. Scripture tells us here, verse 21, that in this tabernacle of meeting, outside, right outside of the veil where the Holy of Holies was, that Aaron and his sons shall tend to this lamp from evening until morning. Well, they tended to it from evening until morning, but it was to burn continuously. Well, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that when they were tending these lamps, they needed to trim the wicks. The wicks would get dirty, and there's a useless part of the wick. And so they would blow out those uh, part of, parts of the lamp, but they left some burning. So they might have three or four on this side, and these three are blown out, and then they pour more oil into it so there's an adequate supply of fuel. They might take the wick and they might trim that wick and so that it lights quickly and it burns better. And uh, then they would light those and then blow out the other side so that fire was continually burning on this particular piece of furniture. And the thing that struck me is if the priest 
do what they are supposed to do as they are standing in front of this menorah, as they are trimming the wicks, as they are pouring on the oil, as they are lighting it and standing in the light, they're standing in the reminder of the manifested presence of God. You and I, whenever we minister, whenever we serve, the presence of God will be manifested more often than not. If you're not experiencing the presence of God like you want to, I want to ask you a question. What's your ministry? Well, nobody's given me a ministry. Well, wait a minute. The Bible teaches the moment you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit. And you received with the Holy Spirit a gift, a spiritual gift. And I believe Romans chapter 12 shows us the motivational gifts. And they're different, and those are the things that grab our attention and they motivate us. You don't need a job in the church to exercise your spiritual gift. In fact, God may be saying to you, I'd really rather you concentrate right now on your home or at work or in your neighborhood or something like that. Some people get hung up because they say, but I don't want that ministry in the church. I want this ministry. And if you're not willing to do the lesser, why should God promote you to the greater? And so God has something for everybody to do. Have you become lazy? You're sinning. Have you become disinterested? You're sinning because you are supposed to use your spiritual gifts to minister. And I want you to think about it. The ministry takes place because of Christ, the menorah. The ministry takes place in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the fuel. He's the oil. And think about the wick as being us. I don't know what kind of a wick you are. Some wicks are dirtier than others. And so when Aaron's sons would come and they would remove that wick and they would look at it, they had to cut a little more off than they did on others. What's God trimming out of your life? It ought to be that we desire to honor him so that even though we're imperfect sinners, we want as little as possible to have to be trimmed off. We want to honor him and glorify him and burn for him. If you were to look at the, at the wigs that are on this lamp, you would probably notice that some flames are high, some flames are low. Doesn't matter, they're still burning. And in the Christian walk, there are just some people that are going to burn brighter. They're going to get more attention than you do. They're going to get an audience when you can't. You're going to be more in the background. Somebody asked the great conductor Leonard Bernstein one time, what is the hardest instrument the, uh, to fill? And without stopping and hesitating, he said second fiddle. Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to shine. Everybody wants to be up front. Everybody wants to be noticed. And in doing that, we sin. We need to simply be whatever God has made us to be, to shine wherever he wants us to shine, however bright he, brightly he wants us to shine. Just some people walk into a room and they instantly get attention, and I hope they use it for the glory of God. Some of you would be like a friend of mine who said, I'm just scotch tape. We looked at him and said, what do you mean by that? He goes, I'm here but nobody notices. 
Some of that's by the design of God. You're to be second fiddle. You're to be in the background. You're to be supporting and helping. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're not inferior. You just have a different role. And then if you were to look at the wicks that were in those lamps, some of them burn a long time. Some of them are used up very quickly. I don't know how long your life is going to be. I've seen more than one person die, as we say, before their time. If you look in the obituaries, you'll find some people who die at 101, 102. But you'll also find little children that die, young adults that die, middle-aged adults that die. And that's all in the hands of God. Just make sure that your wick is trimmed and burning empowered by the Holy Spirit, deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. And for however long you have, burn. It's better to burn out than to rust out, somebody said one time. Burn for the Lord and do it all the days in which he gives you. There's always a purpose for your life. But you'll notice that it was the priests that were to come and to minister. Two things I thought of as I thought of that. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And boy, can he ever trim your wick when you need it. But he can also give you power when you need it. And he's always with you. And then I thought about the fact that we are named as a kingdom of priests. And sometimes the way God ministers to someone else is to use you. Sometimes it's your ministry to other people. You see, when people sit around and sulk and say, I don't know why God's not using me, that generally is a sign they're not really having a servant heart and fulfilling the duties of a servant toward anyone else. You want to see the power of God? Get busy serving God and serving other people in the power and the strength of the Lord. The Bible tells us when it talks about the priests and their ministry. Psalm 100, verse 2. These things are tied together. Serve the Lord with gladness. Not drudgery. Not just because you have to. Serve the Lord with gladness. But look, the very next thing he says. Come into his presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. So serving and presence tied together in the Psalms like it is in these verses. Minister before the Lord. Number three, God's presence is manifested in our motive, when our motive is right. Notice this is to be before the Lord. Not just done because you have to, not just done because you're paid to. This is to be done before the Lord. And I wonder how many times we pray because we feel like it's appropriate or we feel that we are obligated to pray and yet we don't really do it for the Lord or unto the Lord or before the Lord or with, let's put it this way, a great God consciousness. Sunday school teachers, you ought to be conscious of God and his word when you teach. Deacons and elders, you ought to be conscious of God as you learn, as you grow as you share, and as you serve. 
Congregation, everything we do, when we sing, you ought to be conscious of God and nothing else. Thinking about the privilege you have to honor Him and to worship Him. When you pray, we do it unto the Lord and for the Lord. Yes, we pray for people, but it is unto the Lord. And so everything we do is to be done before the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches the hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. What was David saying? Put your heart on God. Seek after him. And when you do that, just like the prophet Jeremiah said, he'll be found. In other words, his presence will be manifest. So let's think about this once again. If you're not obedient, no wonder his presence is not manifested in your life. If you're not ministering and serving, no wonder his presence is not manifested in your life. And if you say, but pastor, I'm doing those things, but you're not doing them for the Lord and in the presence and power of the Lord, well, no wonder, because he's not going to share his glory with your stinking flesh. He's not going to share his glory with people that would misuse all of that. He wants you to be humble. He wants you to be submissive. He wants you to be surrendered. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. He wants you to die to self so that you're dead and he is indeed living through you and the glory goes where it belongs to the Lord. And then number four, I'm going to use a New Testament term here, but I'll show you where I get it. God's presence is manifested in disciple making. You know, I thought about in that passage about church discipline Sometimes that's kind of scary, but Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, I'm there in the midst of them. That's not a promise for when church attendance is low. That's a promise about Matthew 18, church discipline. I'm with you. <coughs> I thought about that and thought about what Paul said that we are to do. The things you have learned from me commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an ongoing thing that we're involved in. Disciple making and the Great Commission is not just simply witnessing to somebody. That's important. But it's taking people that are saved like you. I am fulfilling the Great Commission this morning by teaching you the Word of God. And you do the same thing when you teach your children, when you lead your family in the ways of the Lord, when you talk to a co-worker and explain a Bible verse to them. This is what we're supposed to do. And I looked at the verse, and it said, It shall be a statute forever. That's a long time, isn't it? Forever to their generations. Well, I kind of circled that word. Generations. Not just this generation, but the ones to come. And we're reading about this today, and sadly, there is no temple in Israel and there is no lampstand that is burning. Why? Because of their sin. And because of their rejection of their Messiah. But I also thought about us. 
how often we come up short and empty in passing the faith along to other people. We want the glory. We want to do it ourselves. We don't want to take the time to teach anybody else. We don't have time for them to fumble around. Really? Like you did when you first started doing it? Somebody taught you. Somebody was patient with you. Because what we do is supposed to go on and on and on and on. So well, I don't have any children. Well, there are plenty in the church you could adopt. Say, so, well, I don't have the skill or the time to do that anymore. There's no qualification on that. Pray for them. Love them. Spend time with them. Teach them what you've learned. And if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know, but we'll find someone who does. And then both of you can learn however you do it. We're all supposed to be involved together. Don't leave me hanging, folks. And I won't leave you hanging. Don't leave one another hanging, thinking it doesn't matter, this is about me, and if they don't like it, they can lump it. That's not the way the church was ever designed to operate. We're a part of a body. And if you're not here, and if you don't know people, and if you're not getting involved in their lives and praying for them, you're fumbling the ball. And you're going to gripe because the next generation doesn't know anything. Well, how could they? You didn't teach them. Well, this next generation, boy, they sure are unfaithful. Well, they're watching you. Be careful what you say. And if you're the one that says, well, I'm old enough. I've given my time and there's nothing else for me to do. You need to read Titus chapter 2 sometime. This is something that is an ongoing thing. And with your last breath, Weak on your deathbed. Let the people in the room hear you praying for your church. Let them hear you with your last breath, praising God and praying for a fellow saint. I don't know if that will happen or not, but that would be my prayer, that I would go out with my light shining and shining brightly for the glory of God. Whether I'm serving as a pastor or not, irrelevant. Whether I have a church, irrelevant. Whether I have people that want to come hear me, irrelevant. This is something that we do, as we saw on the last point, before the Lord. Let the Lord find you doing these things that we find in here. We've got to obey. We've got to minister and serve. We've got to do it for the right motive. And we've got to look toward the future, discipling other people because these things need to carry on from generation to generation and they need to be strong. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you, then here it is, the presence of God. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you don't know Christ this morning as your Savior and Lord, repent of your sins. Put your trust in Christ that he paid your sin debt in full. Surrender to him as Lord. He'll change your life. And if you do know him and you say, what's happened? Maybe you've left your first love. Maybe you need to go back and look at this. Where am I not obeying God? 
Where am I not ministering to the people of God? Where have I gotten my motive all messed up to where I'm just doing it because it's the right thing to do or what would other people think of me and I've forgotten that I do it for God's glory? And have you been the weakest link in the chain of generations passing on what you know and what you've learned to other people who will pass it on to other people. That's the only way any of this works. And so I want to conclude with something that I mentioned earlier. And I'd like for you to stand for the Lord's blessing. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Will you pray with me? Father, as we've looked into your word and we've seen timeless, timeless principles, forgive us when we think there's a better way, there's a different way than the way that you have prescribed. In both Old and New Testament, you've always called for your people to be obedient. You've always called for them to serve and to serve with gladness. You've always called for them to do it for your glory and in your strength. And you've always called them to pass on what they know to those who are coming up. So forgive us, Father, where we have not do, uh, and do not do that, where we are not doing that. We failed. We sin. Forgive us. Be gracious to us. Let your face shine upon us. And in the light of your face, may we take up the cross. And more than that, take up the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may you use us in glorious and powerful ways. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Brother Dale.